One of the more memorable illustrations that I have heard, uh, just relax, not about the Bible, but illustrations in a book, have, uh, came from Clayton Christensen in his book, Competing Against Luck. And they hired his uh, firm, McDonald's hired his firm to help them sell milkshakes. And so his first thing was, okay, why do people buy milkshakes? If we know why people buy milkshakes, we can help them buy more. And so he you know, surveyed McDonald's, found out that they sold um, milkshakes. Uh, the prime time for milkshakes turned out to be like right after school. And they had to ask, okay, why do people buy milkshakes at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? And it turns out that they... His words are, and this is why I remember it, his words are, people hired those milkshakes to do a job for them. And the job that they wanted those milkshakes to do at 3 o'clock was they wanted those milkshakes to be the reason that dads and moms could pick up kids from school, go grab a milkshake, and have something to uh, you know, sip on while they debriefed the day. And he said, oh, that's great. I wonder how we can help them sell more milkshakes. He said, when is the second time, most important time, that they sell? Or when do you sell the second most amount of milkshakes? And uh, he said that he found out at um, 7 o'clock in the morning. And he's like, okay, how am I going to help them sell more milkshakes at 7 o'clock in the morning? Why, do you, why does anyone buy a milkshake at 7 o'clock in the morning? And it turns out, they hired that milkshake for, to do a different job for them. They hired the milkshake at 7 o'clock because people would go through the drive-thru and they were late for work and they hadn't had breakfast. But they couldn't eat you know, a meal while they're driving to work. And if they just got a soft drink or coffee, it would, wouldn't fill them up. And so they hired the milkshake to be a breakfast substitute for them as they drove to work, and it turns out that it lasted about as long as the commute, and they were good to go for the rest of the day. Now, I start that way because uh, we have been given a job to do by the Lord. We call it the Great Commission, don't we? When he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so one of the questions then that we need to ask ourselves is, okay, what, what are we going to hire to do that job? As a church, what can we find, what can we uh, hire to do the job of discipleship in the church? And of course, there's all sorts of things, isn't there? I mean, uh, uh, I could probably just read a list of potential church programs to you, and it would last us the rest of the morning, because there's all kinds of things a church can do. But one of the things that is distinctive about New Life Church is that we have committed ourselves to life groups. There are some uh, brown booklets out in the entryway that sort of describe New Life Church, and uh, one of the pages in there, and the picture that is up here, um, highlights uh, life groups. 
And so I want to submit to you that we have hired life groups to do a job in the church, to do the job of discipleship. I was very um, pleased to see Laurel invite you to her life group. I hope after this message she'll be flooded <laughs> with people at her house this evening. But we're hiring life groups to make disciples because there are certain things that are, are required. There are certain um, things that disciples need to be part of and need to do in order to follow Jesus in that way. And they need to develop deep relationships and dynamic rhythms in the life of the community. Or to say it another way, the habits of faith that the disciples practiced in that very early church, the, one, the text that Laurel just read, those habits of faith that they learned from Jesus became the form and the structure of the church. And so, I want, to, I want you to see kind of why we have hired life groups to do that job. And um, to do that, I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Laurel began reading in verse 42, but I want to go back one more verse to verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Next, 241 says this. It says, so those who received his words were baptized. And there were added to that day, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so the fact that they, were, they responded to the Word of God and were baptized gives us a clue that they are working at this disciple-making uh, commission that Jesus left. Go and make disciples baptizing. And so they did. And there were about 3,000. So I just want you to imagine what a logistical nightmare that would be. Okay, there had been just a little bit earlier, 120 that were part of the church, and you could add a few stragglers around, but there were not enough to really manage 3,000 effectively. And so they had to figure something out, and, and he tells us then what the church did. As they were making disciples, what did they do? Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And there you have four things, but before I even talk about those four things, what, the thing I want you to notice is that they devoted themselves to these things. This is very interesting because in the book of uh, Acts, it's history. And so they tell us what they did. Like, you know, it'll say Paul sailed to um, Troas, let's say. I don't know if it says that exactly, but Paul sailed to Troas. Does that mean that you need to sail to Troas? Probably not. You're probably good if you never make it to Troas. Because that's history, right? But here he, he's telling us history, but he uses it, he's talking about it a little differently. He uses a tense of, uh, his, his verb tense in Greek tells us that it was a continuous, ongoing action. 
So what, what they did here is it was continuous and ongoing. So he's relaying not just like they sailed to Troas and that's good. He's telling us this is the way that they did it. Not only that, this is the thing they devoted themselves to. The thing that they were committed to. In other words, the regular practice or I would like to say the habit of the church. You might say the rhythm of this early group of believers was these four things. In other words, they built this into the fabric of their lives, which is very important because I think there are several of us for whom our lives are our lives and our church is our church. And there's a certain degree to which we'll add some church stuff to our lives, but not really change our lives to incorporate this family of believers that have been born again as they believed in the risen Christ. But not these guys. These guys devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And so the, the first thing that I want you to see is that they devoted themselves, it was their regular practice, to um, live in the apostles' teaching. So one of the values of this early group of believers was the apostles' teaching. Now, you think about what that meant. What does it mean for them to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? Well, turns out they had just heard some apostles' teaching. Turns out that the apostle had, Peter had just taught them, hadn't he? If you go back then to verse 22, so Acts 2:22, here he starts this teaching. And he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So there is an example of the apostles' teaching. What did the apostles want them to know? Jesus died on a cross and rose again. And that simple message changed the world. It is that simple message that you hear over and over and over and over through the book of Acts. As the early church would, would go from community to community, the message was the same. The apostles' teaching was the same, that Jesus died and rose again so that sin and death and the devil might be defeated and people might be reconciled to God. So they devoted themselves to that. Now, there is, there should be, a question other than their personal experience, right, with Jesus. What where did they get that message? Where, where, how did they understand the death and resurrection of Jesus to even be important in the world? Well, we can go back just a little farther. They got that from Jesus himself. 
because that was, this was a regular practice of Jesus. In fact, this morning in my quiet time, I read in Mark chapter 10, and it started off, and Jesus taught them, as was his custom. So the, the teaching of the apostles came from the teaching of Jesus. In fact, he makes it most clear that this is why you need your Bible. He made it most clear in Luke chapter 24 what his teaching was. It says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, now, you're going to recognize this because this is how the disciples got this, right? And thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, that great commission. And so what we see happening is that Jesus made clear the message this very central message from all of the Scriptures. So it isn't just like we just have to stand up here and say, yeah, Jesus died and rose again every week. Well, you can open any page of the Bible and find the same message or a thread that leads to the same message. At least that's what Jesus did. And so then the disciples took that and uh, began to go out into the world with it and those who, those who believed devoted themselves to that teaching. In fact, after the message in Acts chapter 2 that I read to you, or the, the intro to the message that I read to you, uh, Peter begins to quote from the Old Testament because that's what Jesus taught him to do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Then it says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship or to the, what they had in common, to the commonality. It would be a an awkward way to say it, right? They did, and so, but, but better to say that, they devoted themselves to what they had in common. That's probably better than they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Because we have so worn out the word fellowship that it almost has no meaning. I mean, pretty soon I'm going to be done here. And you're going to walk out into the fellowship hall. Is something going to happen different out there than happens in here? Probably not. What did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to what they had in common. And you'll see as you go on a little farther that they, verse 45, well, verse 44 and 45, they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as all had need. Or as any had need. And so they were... Um, they had all their things in common. The fact that the life that they were now living, they shared. That's what fellowship is. See, I'm, I'm afraid that we have sold fellowship so short. In fact, he talks about the fellowship. It's that thing, the one thing we have in common, which is the person of the crucified and risen Savior. That's what brings us together. And so we share and we are generous. That's the generosity is some of the idea of this fellowship. 
Now that is really radical to the way they lived in the first century and to us, right? They had everything in common, and they gave to everyone as they had need. I'm worried that we say, yeah, let's get together for fellowship. And what we mean is, do you think the beavers are going to win this week? Really? That's, that's what we'll settle for, for fellowship. And you know what? That's easier. There are some people that I know, the closest thing that I have in common with them is a football team. And if that's true, that is not Christian fellowship. If the reason that you are here this morning is not the crucified and risen Christ, you are not here for fellowship. You're here for some other reason. And so what we must do is we must develop those relationships that help us celebrate the one thing that binds us all together, namely Jesus. Um. Most of you know um, several of my children. Uh, My youngest daughter is the one that sometimes plays the cello here on one of the worship teams, and she's 20, and she just started nursing school. And she has been the quietest of all my children all of her life. And just the other day, she ran across a, a saying that she now has in her room on her little board and she shared it with me, and I realized, man, I, I need to learn from her. She said, that this, this quote that she framed was, have the courage to start a conversation that matters. I'll tell you what, if there were 100 people in this room who had the courage to start a conversation that matters, we'd have an entirely different level of fellowship, wouldn't we? Because... That's what he's talking about here. What really matters and what is it that holds us together? Not all of the peripheral things, but what is the central thing? That's the fellowship, and they devoted themselves to it. They made it their practice to start conversations that matter. They made it practice to be close enough in relationship that that was okay, that they wouldn't be shamed or ignored because there was maybe an awkward moment. They devoted themselves then, third, to the breaking of bread, verse 22, to the breaking of bread. There's some debate whether this is communion, what we call communion, the Lord's Supper, or this is just sharing a meal. And my inclination is to think that it is really the latter. It's simply eating together. They devoted themselves to spending time around the table, eating together, and sharing their lives in that way. And part of the reason that I think it's that way is because that's what they talk about in the rest of the text, right? It says in uh, verse, 20, verse 46 that they were breaking bread in their homes. Everyone agrees that's a meal, And they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so the the point of this habit, really, is that they were spending those mealtimes with other people 
who had the same thing in common, namely Jesus, and they would apparently devote themselves to the apostles' teaching while they did. Now, if you're like me or like my family, that's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? To figure out how am I going to have meals with other people, have them in my home, be hospitable. This hospitality is a characteristic of Christianity. It is a characteristic of this fellowship or this sharing all things in common that they had. Commitment to breaking bread together. So when, when I say that I think it's a meal, and it sounds like Jesus in the Last Supper, doesn't it? He broke bread, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to all of them. Well, guess what? Every Hebrew meal started with the breaking of bread. That's, that's the thing. It was characteristic of their life that they would break bread together. And then they devoted themselves, fourthly, to prayers, to the prayers. And I don't know that this was a codified selection of prayers like you might find in the Book of Common Prayer or Every Day Holy or Every Moment Holy or anything like that. I think that this is probably the prayers, the thing that characterized the group was that they prayed. And so, the prayers was the thing that was a characteristic. And again, all of these things, you just can go back into the life of Jesus, right, and see Him teaching and see Him spending time with His disciples and sharing all things in common, see Him eating with His disciples and with tax collectors and sinners. And you can certainly see Jesus praying. Uh, Mark starts his gospel by Jesus getting up early in the morning and praying. Jesus prayed so much that The disciples said, teach us to do that. And so we have the Lord's Prayer. Judas knew where to find Jesus in order to betray him because Jesus often withdrew to the Mount of Olives to pray. Prayer characterized Jesus' life, and so naturally it would characterize the life of those who followed Jesus. Now, I... I, I say that, and I want to go back to Jesus over and over because, and this, this I think is really important, we're here in the book of Acts, especially chapter 2, at this hinge moment in history where the church has just begun. And there were 11 apostles, there were 120 or so who followed them around and met together uh, to devote themselves, chapter 1, verse 14, to pray. But there weren't very many, and now all of a sudden there are 3,000. 3,000 who must become disciples. How did that small group of 120, let's say, know what to do with the 3,000? Like, how shall we organize these people? Uh, well, we have a job to do, don't we? We have to figure out uh, how to make them into disciples. And I think, that, I think the way they answered that question is, What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do with us? Well, Jesus taught us, no question. We had all things in common with him. In fact, he didn't even have a place to lay his head. 
We ate together, and we prayed together. Okay, let's start there. And so they started there, and they essentially built this early church on these four habits. And I want you to see then what happened, right? The, the outcome, the, the change that took place in these 3,000 people was such, so great that in verse 43 it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions. There was this sense that something unusual has happened because this group has followed the risen Savior. And they're following the risen Savior the way that the risen, that the risen Savior treated His disciples. And so the first habit really is that they, into their lives, incorporated those four things, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. The next thing that they did, this I want you to see as well, in verse 46. Verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I'm generally, I generally try and be very careful because there are, you, can, you can read your Bible and enjoy your Bible just like you have it on your lap. It's wonderful. Um, I do think they undersell what's happening. Uh, the ESV undersells what's happening here in verse 46. Because in verse 46, you have exactly the same word that you had in verse 42. They devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They made it their habit. It was their common practice. Now, what does that look like in this translation? Well, they attended. <laughs> That's really, really weak. In part because they devoted themselves, and then that, their devotion is uh, modified by an adjective. It's modified by another word that doesn't even make it in here, and that word is one accord. So I think the NIV has with one accord. They devoted themselves with one accord to the temple courts and to the breaking of bread in homes. And so here you have these two devotions, right? The devotion to these four practices and the devotion to the temple courts and house to house. Or I, I don't go to the temple very often. So I would say big group, small group. Large gathering, small gathering. Okay, the, the large gathering is where they heard the, the apostles uh, teaching, generally, and then they would go homes and break bread, and I assume fellowship and pray together as well. The form that they took was big group, small group. And they did this with one accord. They recognized this unity or this common passion that they had would um, capture them in such a way they wanted to hear what was being preached at the temple by these apostles who were, you might say, infiltrating the Jewish ranks. And then they would <laughs> withdraw and go home to home, have meals together and talk about it. And that was their regular rhythm. 
And so they developed the, 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 the rhythm of big group, small group, and the habits of apostles' doctrine, um, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And that's the way that they structured and built their life. And again, I want you to see what the result of this was. It says they, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This day by day is the same way that they went into their homes to break bread day by day. And so the Lord added day by day those who were being saved. One of the things that happened here is because of that big group, small group rhythm that they had developed, because of these four habits that they built into their lives, they were praising God and finding favor with all the people. There was this, this fire in their worship that they could not contain because it came from glad and generous hearts. And then it also gave them favor with the outsiders. Now, I want you to think about it. It gave them favor with the outsiders. The way the outsiders evaluated the church was they smiled. They were glad the church was there. They were glad the church did what the church did. They had favor with all the people. Now, I step back and I think about the church in America and outsiders routinely don't recognize the church with favor. They generally, like at best, have uh, keep them at arm's length, but at worst are pretty critical of the way that we sort of lob our moral platitudes into the universe. And I just want you to think about how this would look, right? If the world, if the world around looked on the church with favor, that that once the for sale sign went up and then it went pending and then the, the U-Haul truck moved in and they unloaded stuff and there was a Christian that moved in, what if the neighbors were really, really glad that that happened? Or what if your friends, as they scrolled on social media, we're so happy with the care and the self-restraint that God's people showed on social media. You see, there are lots of ways that this could apply, but, but see, some of what happened is there is something going on in this group that is changing these people so that they don't just lob these moral platitudes out into the world, but rather they engage the world in a different way so that the world is glad that they did. And so the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
And so I haven't, I haven't really even used the word life group in this message yet, though it is about uh, life groups. But I simply want to say that those four habits, the Apostles' Doctrine, uh, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers are part of what we intentionally build into life groups because we need something that can carry the weight of discipleship. We need something that can get us to, to do that. We need something that can do that job, right? And that thing that does that job, we trust will have the effect that it had here, where it changes people so that outsiders have favor uh, on the church. And the Lord adds the number daily. There is this missional component as well as these four things. And so the structure of big group, small group, and those four priorities end up really defining what we mean when we talk about life groups. And that's why we do it. Because those four elements, I, I suppose you can think of it different ways. I don't know how many of you are um, <clears throat> health enthusiasts uh, or uh, are really careful about your diet. Um, but you want a balanced diet. You want a diet that's going to just give you sort of the macronutrients and the fiber and all the things. And that's what's going to keep you healthy. There are occasions when you may need supplements, right? There might be, it might be, well, Lord forbid it turns winter and rainy, and you might need a vitamin D <laughs> to see you through. Or, you know, the people around you might have colds and you say, oh, I need some vitamin C. Or you may uh, have just some excessive strain that you need some calcium or you need some uh, protein or something. And so you supplement, but you supplement a basic diet. That's what you're doing. That's, what, that's why we sort of build life groups into the, uh, the fabric of the church. Yeah, there will be other supplements, but the, the, those four things, the apostle doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers, those four things represent the balanced diet with a little exercise, right? This mission component or the having favor with uh, those who are outside. And again, even that is uh, something that I would say is balanced. Now, if you are a, you know, college athlete or if you are a professional athlete, your training regimen looks different than the rest of ours. But for the most part, most of us need a little cardio. We need a little zone two. Most of us need some strength training if we're going to stay strong and fit. But some of the time, some of the time you might, <laughs> you might get injured. And then your exercise regimen is different. Okay? I mean, I, I'll, I probably every time I come preach here, I will remember that I, the time I barely made it up the stairs here after I got hurt. And so that kind of, that's what comes to mind. I'm sorry. But um, because of that, okay, because of that, my training regimen is different. Yeah, I need those, all those other things, but I also need some specific exercise to rehab. But if all I do, say, is nobody just does leg day, <laughs> that's what, but that's kind of what I needed. But if all I did is like curl so that everyone like looks at my biceps or something, I'm not going to be a healthy person. I might have a, a part of me that's good, 
Okay? Or, but the, the reality is we need the whole thing. And so what we're trying to do is we're going to try and hire something to do that job to give us the whole thing that has those four elements and mission built in. We call it life groups. Now, I, just, to, just to fill this out a little bit, um, I've been part of a life group that we started on Sunday nights because my girls were doing sports during the week and I had no control on what our uh, schedule would be like. And so we, now, none of my kids are in sports. All my, I could do it any night of the week and I'm stuck on Sunday nights. But that's how it is. That's, what, that's sometimes what happens when you commit to people is you just get stuck with them. <laughs> and, and I'm kind of stuck with them. And that's okay. In fact, that's not just okay, that's really, really good for me. Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't naturally do that. I wouldn't naturally have to take a breath. Okay, we have, I mean, we, we have some, some things going on in our group um, that have to do with this, right? This, this fellowship. And this apostle's teaching. I mean, we, we have a guy in our group who started out by, um, he, he started out coming to group and, and he would say, well, it says in the Bible somewhere, and that was kind of the level of the commitment to um, the apostle doctrine. And now, I mean, so some of you who are in life group, remember we went without talk sheets this uh, early this summer while I was on sabbatical, and life group leaders had to come up with their own stuff. Not our group, because this guy who would only be able to say it happens, you know, somewhere in the Bible, he wrote questions for our group so that they would have something to talk about from the scriptures, because he's changed over time with respect to the apostles' doctrine. Um, we have, um, we have a, a woman in our group who the highlight of a Sunday is that I get to hear her pray. And she will, in fact, it's not just my highlight, I mean, we're done praying. And the other people in the group will say, did you hear her pray? Wow. And that opportunity to hear her pray, to, to see the difference between the way she relates to the risen Jesus and the way that I tend to make it formal or professional or whatever I do, that's a gift that I wouldn't get. And you know what? I, I don't have time to have in my week something that enables me to have that kind of prayer experience, that enables me to have that kind of apostles' doctrine experience, that enables me to have a meal with somebody else, and then also fellowship with people. You know, there, you could have like specialized things all the way through, but we're going to hire one thing to do that work and supplement as we need to. But I will say, the thing that makes me most proud, I suppose, of my group 
And I suppose those of you who are in life group, Laurel clearly is proud of her group, so she wanted to recruit you. But those of you who are in groups probably feel this way about yours. But one of the things that's happening in my group that I'm very excited about is that they are in, engaged in mission. That they are in a different way. And it's not formal and we don't you know, do stuff um, because we're supposed to do stuff. See, that's the way that it normally goes down, right? You're supposed to do this, so you better do it. But um, men, several people in my group can walk to my house, and so we have a life group that walks to my house, and several of them, and we had a neighborhood party. Marsh and I mean to do this every summer, and it's always in September. <laughs> we, we miss the summers like it. We better do it. And so we did it, just um, not yesterday, but the week before. And we had about 20 people, 20 neighbors come to our, uh, to our backyard, and we had uh, donuts and coffee. And uh, the next day, five of those neighbors were in church, none of them at my invitation, because the group sort of got it. That, yeah, and the Lord gave us favor. I mean, we, one of the things that we have done is we do backyard uh, worship gatherings generally once a year, sort of to remember our wandering in the wilderness and uh, thing, and then to give us opportunity to be in to be in the neighborhoods. And so, one one person in my life group brought a neighbor. All the neighbors I invited didn't come, but somebody else brought a neighbor. That neighbor uh, happened to serve in um, uh, Afghanistan met somebody who came who served in Vietnam. And I've been, this, I've been the Vietnam guy's pastor for 30-some years. And he was sitting there talking, and I, I told the guy who brought this neighbor, I said, you need to introduce them. And so we interrupted him, and the moment he did, this, this Vietnam vet stood up and threw his arms around my neighbor. And, I, and I've been his pastor for 30 years. I've never seen him do anything remotely close to that. He will occasionally shake someone's hand. And that guy then came, uh, he's come to church twice uh, since then, but he, uh, he came to our neighborhood thing and was explaining to our neighbors why he came to church. And he said, because it feels like home. And you see, there was no evangelism program, there was no mission program, there was just some people who regularly have committed to these four things, and mission is the outgrowth of it, and the Lord is doing a work in that guy's life that is a joy to behold. And so, what I want to do this morning is just encourage you that um, we don't need heroes, we just need people who have good habits, habits of doing the things the church has always done. And as you build those into your life, the Lord will change you. And when He changes you, things will happen that you don't expect and that surprise you. And so I want to invite you to take up Laurel's invitation and flood her home. If, if she wants to turn you away, there are probably some other life groups. You can find the leaders out on uh, the board and find a way. And, and the thing is, you're not going to love it. And it is going to be inconvenient. But the regular practice of doing what the early church did like this 
is going to be the thing that helps you be a disciple of Jesus. And one of the things that we're trying to do too is not merely make disciples individual disciples, but to disciple a community. And so the way you disciple a community is to get them in community. They get them rubbing shoulders with one another. And so uh, I'm just going to close with this uh, quote from, again, another one of my favorite books. I'm telling you that my books are not Bible books. But at the book Atomic Habits, he says this. He says, one of the most effective things you can do to build better habits is to join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Surround yourself with people who have the habits you want to have yourself, and you will rise together. Nothing sustains motivation better than belonging to the tribe. It transforms a personal quest into a shared one. And that's what I hope we will have together is a shared quest to be disciples of Jesus and to see the Lord uh, give favor to the church from people on the outside. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for the shared uh, message that we have that Jesus died on a cross to reconcile sinners to God and rose again in the third day that we might be certain that you will accept all those who turn to you in faith. So, Father, I thank you for the shared message, but, Father, I thank you, too, for the shared life that promotes within us a generosity and a relationship, uh, a depth of relationship that we can't uh, manufacture. But, Father, I trust that you will do for your church what needs to be done. Would you do in our lives what needs to be done? Father, we don't expect you'll do it individually, but you'll do it with us together. So I pray that you would help us in the name of Jesus. Amen.